Right. Well, thank you again for uh, allowing me, Pastor, uh, to uh, be able to share today. You know, as I begin praying about that, what to teach, uh, I always keep a list of every everywhere I go and everything I, I talk about. And so, uh, one of the things that, uh, what I find as I travel around, two of the things that kids and youth ask the most about how do dinosaurs fit with the Bible, and the number two one is the age of the earth. And those two, uh, many people have quit uh, believing in the Bible. They don't believe dinosaurs were in the Bible. Uh, they're not called dinosaurs, but we have evidence. I've taught that before. But the age of the earth is another one. What we have seen over the years, that lots and lots of churches have began uh, uh, turning away from the Word of God and quit believing what the Bible says about the age of the earth. They make compromises, not only with the first part of the Bible, but throughout the rest of the Bible. They start choosing, well, I don't have to believe this because the first part can't be true. So, so we're going to look into the age of the earth today. And the reason I want the kids in here, because it's going to be a little interactive, I'm going to make them participate a little bit. But they're the ones I'm really aiming at today. You older people in here should have made up your mind by now. right? But if you haven't, we're going to give you evidence to tell you know that the Bible is true for Says, all right? So let me pray and we'll get started. Oh, by the way, uh, man, this is great today. I'm going by the clock back there, guys. I've got two hours up there. <laughs> now, I might take halfway through a coffee break or something like that, but now uh, I will try to get done in, in appropriate time. But anyway, let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for a wonderful day again that we can come here to worship you, Lord, and to learn more about you and your word. My prayer is, uh, especially this morning, Lord, as we look into some of the things of science, uh, first of all, your word, and then what science, I shouldn't say science, Lord, but what this evolutionary idea is teaching out there, uh, what they're saying and what is wrong with that. So I hope that we can show clearly, Lord, that we can believe your Bible for what it says, that you are the author. Second Timothy 3.16 tells us that. And so, Lord, I pray that we believe everything it says right from the very beginning right to the end. So be with us, open up our hearts, and I pray whatever we do, Lord, that we give you the glory this morning. I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. All right, so we are going to be talking about, see, how old is the earth? Now, how old is the earth? Let me ask you a question. How old do you want it to be? Do you want it to be an older, or do you want it to be a younger? Younger, younger. See, I can go either way, guys. If you want to be an older, I can become an old earth creationist just like that. Because I believe what the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It was the first thing out here, so it's been around the longest. So it's an old earth when you look at it that way. Where I could be younger, I, because of what we, we look today, what the Bible says versus the millions and millions and billions of years for the universe that evolution is teaching, well, what the Bible says is very young compared to that. What I really prefer to call myself is a historic earth, uh, uh, I'll get to that in a second, a, a historic earth creationist. Uh, that's what I'd like, like to do. Uh, I, but first of all, we're going to take just a brief look at the evolutionary timeline. <laughs> Evolution teaches today that, uh, first of all, there was nothing out there, and nothing blew up and made everything out there. Uh, you've heard that story? It is a story. It's never been proven. They call it the Big Bang. And then they said nothing, essentially, got together, formed gases and things, and made everything out there. It's called the Big Bang. And they said this happened, the newer thing is they said this happened 20 billion years ago, the Big Bang. Now don't put that number in your head and count on it staying that way. 
Because when I was going to college, when I graduated as a geologist in 71, we were being taught back there that it was only 13 to maybe 15 billion years old. But thanks to Walmart, Walmart is uh, advertises rollback prices. Well, that's what they're doing with the age of the Earth now. They're rolling that, or the universe, I should say. They got the Hubble spacecraft got out there, started looking around, looking for the beginning of time, and thought, whoa, we made a big boo-boo. It's not as old as we thought. So they're rolling it back about 13 billion to 15 billion. Now, I don't believe they're ever going to get to what I believe uh, around 6,000 years old, all right? But they are rolling it back. I did the Earth, they said, happened about 4.6 billion years ago, right in here. And the first life only appeared about 3.5 billion years ago. And the we've only been around for a short period of time when you look at this long geological time scale. We've only been around, according to evolution, I don't believe this remember, if you all recall, that we've only been around for 200,000 to maybe up to 3 million years. Uh, but we're not around, all right, for millions and millions of years. We're just a few million years old. Okay? So this is what evolution teaches. But what does the Bible say about the age of the earth? Like I say, I call myself a historic earth creationist because what I'm going to use today for the age of the earth, I'm going to use the word of God. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to use the Bible itself. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. He created everything out there from that. All right? Genesis 1-2-5 says, let's see my slide there. The first thing that happened, God said, let there be light. Now, what was out there first before God said that? Darkness of the earth was uh, formless and void, right? Really without shape of any kind at that time. And But darkness, so what did God say? Let there be light. And notice what the Bible goes on to say. This was day number one. And what's it say up there? Can everybody say this with me? Let's let me say it first and let's have you repeat with me. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Kids, I really want you to do this, all right? I want you to be putting in your head what God said. And the evening and the morning were the first day. That was day number one. And then it tells us in Genesis 1-6-8, Let there be firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the water. God essentially, God says, separate the waters above from the waters below, and then put the firmament, what we would call atmosphere. That was on day number six. And he says, and the uh, evening and the morning. Uh oh, let's all start over. We all got to do this together. Here we go. All right. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Then it tells us in one, uh, Genesis 1, 9 through 13, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. Let the earth reform grass, the earth yield and seed, and the fruit trees yielding fruit after its time. So first of all, God created, brought the, the dry ground up out of the water, and then he put all kinds of plants all over it. And that at the end of that day, which is day number three, and he said, And the evening and the morning were the third day. Then it goes on to Genesis 1, 14 through 19. It says that God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made also, just as a kind of little side note he throws in there, he made also the stars. Do you know how many stars we have out there? And he just made them also. What an awesome God we have, all right? Anyway, that was on that lap. That was on day number four. And God said, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then we come around to the next day. And God says, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of the heaven. 
So God made all the animals that lived in the water and all the ones that lived in the sky. And what did he say at that, the end of that day? And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then it goes on to Genesis 1.24, and it says, Let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and the creepy things and the beast of the earth after his kind. Now, he didn't, uh, he didn't uh, repeat right you just did, because there was something else. He made all the land animals. And we've already talked about where, where did uh, How did dinosaurs get around? They walked on land. Were they land animals? So this included dinosaurs, didn't it? Okay. I, but then God goes on to say that he's most special creation. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he him, male and female, created he them. So where did we come from? God. And what day was that? Statement number six, all right? Well, oop, I got ahead of myself. And God saw that everything that he had made, behold, it was very good. And that was the end of day six. And what did God say? And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And then God was so wiped out from doing all that creating. What did he do on day number seven? God never gets tired, guys. We get worn out, but God never gets tired. He's always there. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. This was at the end of the seventh day. God then rested in me. Now, notice on the days of creation, and you guys just help me out there. On every day, what did he say? The evening and the morning. How do we describe a day today? Now, we just get up in the morning, we go through the night, play around a 24-hour period back to morning. The Hebrews, they started their day in the evening. They began their day in the evening, went play around in the morning, back to the evening, and that was one 24-hour period, one day. That's how we describe a day today. And then, on every one of those days, the evening and the morning, he always put a number with that day. Now, what's very interesting is what we see throughout the Bible. First of all, that word day is, if I say this word right, uh, in the Hebrew, it's called yom. I, am I close to that? Do you, uh, we're going to call it yom. Everybody say yom. Now, this is not this new age sitting around your fingers yomming, okay? This is a whole different word. This means day. Right now, throughout the Bible, it always means day. Now, there are some times, uh, but you have to take it in context, it can mean more than a little 24-hour period. That's in the day or days of the Lord, which really has no limit to it right in there, okay? But whenever uh, the, that word day is used with a number, 359 times outside the Genesis creation account, right, it means a literal 24-hour period that means day. When it, uh, the word evening and morning together without the word day, 38 times we find out outside the creation account, guess what it means? A day, a 24-hour day. We know that by contact. Evening and morning with that word yom, with that word day, 23 times outside the creation account, guess what it means? A day, a little 24-hour period. And then night with the word day, yom, 52 times outside the creation account, it means day. So do you kind of get an idea when God says day is the creation account, he means a little 24-hour period? He just laid it out for us, guys. I mean, how do you argue with that right in here? All right. So what we're going to do is look at the age of the earth. Now, how many of you have insomnia, have a hard time getting to sleep at night? 
I, I gotta this help. Now, guys, I'm not being sarcastic or anything, all right? But God, there's some things in the Bible that can really put you to sleep, and those are the genealogies. So we stayed awake from you real well this morning, brother. I, I was, I, you were, I was sitting on the seat. How's he going to say this next one? <laughs> all right. But you, I'm not, you know, if you guys have insomnia, just get out your Bible and start reading genealogies. For example, let's go to Genesis 5. Now it tells us in Genesis 1.31 that God, that was a creation, that was the first week, that was year zero. That's when it all began. Then we'll start reading the genealogies in, in the, uh, chapter, chapter 5 of Genesis. 5.3 says, and Seth, well, Seth was born when Adam was 130 years old. Now, Adam was created on day number 6, and that was at year 0. So, what we're going to do is put 130 years over there. He was 130 years old. Then you go down to the next one, and then it goes into uh, five, uh, 5 verse 6. Enos was born when Seth was 105 years old. Now, we're going to add that woo back up at the wrong button. Okay, we're going to add that uh, 105 to the 130. That would be 235 years after creation account occurred. You go down to uh, 5, 9, Cain and board when Enos was 90. Add that 90, that's 325. You just start keep adding those all up until you get right down here to 528 where it talks about Noah was born when Lamech was 182 years old. And so those all added up to that, that would have been 1,056 years after the creation account. Then you open up your Bibles to verse 7, or chapter 7, I should say, Genesis 7, verse 6, and it tells us that Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. So you have that 600 uh, up to the time of Lamech, uh, when, uh, and that was, would have been about 1,656 years after the creation account. That's when the flood would have occurred someplace right in there. Okay. Now there are some arguments that some of those genealogies uh, are missing or some are, have been added to it and everything good. But I really believe that God wanted to keep His Word as true as possible. So He was the one that was behind the Word of God. So I believe that's why He put them in the order. He gave us those genealogies so we could know how earth, how old the earth was when the flood came. I didn't hear. So from creation to the flood, that was 1,656 years. Um, uh, from, the, uh, from the creation to the flood, and from the flood to Abraham was right around 300 years. From Abraham to Christ was about 2,000, and from Christ to present, 2,023, right about in there. And add that up, that would have made, from the creation account to today, approximately 5,979 years. And if you want to round that up, everybody say 6,000. That's what we use. Now some have said, some have missing. I've studied some of them, guys. I, I stick with 6,000. Some have gone to 10,000. Some have even gone more than that. Uh, but I, for many in my house, I prefer to stick with the way God wrote. I'm not going to try to add to it or anything like that. So I'm going to stick for myself to 6,000. You all have to make up your own mind what you believe. But that's just what I believe. I didn't hear. Okay? Now, that's what God says in His Word. Now, what does science say about the age of the earth? Well, we're going to look into several different things. First of all, we're going to talk about a, a, a way of the day things called uniformitarianism. Can you kids all say that with me? Uniformitarianism. All it is is the present is the key to the past. So what we do today, we study things and see how, how, fa how fast or how slow they are changing. 
right? And from that, we say, okay, this is what it was doing today. So now we take that number and we extrapolate it, which is a fancy word for just pushing it backwards now to see when it all began. Right? So this is called uniformitarianism, and I don't know where my picture went. Matt's back there trying to find it himself. Isn't it wonderful about cyberspace where all this stuff goes? There you go. Right? So uniformitarianism. Now notice something. As I begin to study the rates of decay and things like that, how fast things are building up or how slow, notice all the different numbers up there. Do you guys look and see all the thousands? This only would have taken, but in fact, they say the origin of human civilization started about 5,000 years ago. You have a lot of thousands here. You also have moons and a couple of billions they stick in there too, right? But notice, none of them are the same. They all should be a lot closer than that. But this is based on what we observe today and we push it back. They never take into account a creation account like this. Right? They say this is how it is and so this is how long it, it took. They never look at anything other than that. Uh, we have lots of evidences for a young world. Uh, Earth right in here. I want you to just look at some of those up there. I'm not going to explain all these. It'll take too much time. Uh, do we, have, we have lots of literature. You go to Answers in Genesis. You go to our uh, Discovered Creation. We have written articles on this. I'm only going to share two, with, uh, two of them with you uh, because as a geologist, this is one that had the most impact with me anyway. Alright, but uh, look at all the different ones. Uh, he names it in the wrong place. Agriculture's too, history's too short. There's all kinds of things that show to uh, young earth, not built millions of years old. Right? Let's first of all look at our ocean. Today we are taught that our oceans have only, the present day oceans have only been around for about 200 million years. Right? But here's the big problem everything. Right? They have, uh, they've actually got rates of how much deposits are being uh, put in the ocean today. The mud coming in, the tectonic plates and things like that, right? And uh, the, the, what they've come up with, this is less than a billion, well, a billion tons leave per year, 15 million, uh, or 25 billion tons build up per year. Now, if the uh, oceans have run around for 200 million years, at the rate that they measure today, we should have miles and miles and miles and miles of mud on the bottom of the ocean floor. But guess what? We don't. The most we have in any one place, and most of us much, much less than that, we only have 800 feet. Only 800 feet. Now, if the ocean been around for 200 million years, we should have lots more mud, but we don't. So, in any case, it is actually a fairly young earth. Another one we have to look at is the salt, the sodiums, uh, different types of salts, not just sodiums, but a different a bunch of different salts. It's constantly being uh, flowing into the oceans through lakes, through uh, uh, our water pouring off into it. Uh, it. Again, the problem is that the present oceans are two million years old. There should be a lot more salt in the oceans out there. In fact, it should be so salty, some have calculated that it'd be saltier than the Dead Sea. How many of you have ever been to Israel and gone to the Dead Sea? I got a chance to do that for another night once, and uh, you float, you try to put your legs down, and you, you can't do it, right? It's so salty, so buoyant. Today, they're saying it's gonna be even saltier than that if the oceans have been around for 200 million years. So, if they've been around for 200 million years, we could probably put on some snowshoes, maybe modify it a little bit, but we probably could walk to Hawaii across the ocean like that. Be a little bit spongy and pushy, all right, squishy like that, all right, but you probably do it if you could hide that. 
part. That's a long walk, isn't it? All right. But again, it indicates the Earth was uh, very, very young. Compared to what we're seeing on that. Now, I got a story. Many of you. How many of you ever? How many of you adults in here have ever read a story like this to the kids up there about a frog? Right. Now we're going to get real personal. We're going to call him Freddy the Frog. Now, Freddy the Frog, according to the story. I don't know why he would do this, but one day he was hopping around out there, and this beautiful princess found him, picked him up, and now I don't know why she did this. She gave him a big smooch, gave him a big old kiss. And what did the frog change into? The handsome prince. Now, what do we call stories like this? Those are fairy tales, that's right. How many of you have been read that fairy tale? I read to my kids. Now, there's a same story out there with some included ingredients of it, the same result. A frog essentially changing into a human right in here. So here are the additions. So we had Freddie the Frog. We had lots of Mother Nature. By the way, I don't believe that word Mother Nature. I got created, not some mother out there that we can't even worship. Right? And then add lots of Father Time, little chance and accident. What do you get? The same result. Now, what do we call that? That's called evolution. Please don't call it science because it is not science. Now, evolution. Uh, uh, it's based on just theory. Nobody's ever seen it occurring. They haven't, even in the fossil record and everything, all right? And science is all about observation, using our senses to study things and get smart from it, right? Evolution in no way is science. It is just a theory based really on nothing. But here's the main ingredient uh, that they teach on evolution right in here. What's the key ingredients? Time. Lots and lots of time. When I, used, when I was that atheist for 20-some years, one of my main arguments when I was arguing for evolution was what I've been taught, given enough time, anything can happen. Given enough time, things can change from one kind of animal into another kind. But can they? No. Okay? They really can't. By the way, that's been shown. They've never ever seen one kind changing into another kind. Always seen small adaptations within a created kind, Right, but never evolution, macroevolution, one kind to another. It's just an idea of evolution. Right? And so if you take away father time, you know what will happen to evolution? It will collapse on itself. It cannot maintain without time. Because that's the only hope they have is maybe sometime it might happen. And there's really no evidence for that. So how can you tell how things all are? Now, I showed a picture like this a little bit, not too long ago in the past here, so let's see if you can remember. All right, when you look up here, there's a lady up there. Now, how many of you, when you look up here, see a picture of an older lady? Raise your hand if you see an older lady. All right, put your hands down. How many of you see a young lady? Raise your hand. Whoa. How many of you don't see a lady at all? Raise your hand. And it's all right. We all look at the world through different colored glasses, don't we? All right. Now, can this lady be old and young at the same time? Up here, this is not the collusion yet, all right? But in reality, can she be? No, she can only be old or young, not at the same time. The same thing with rocks in the earth out there. They can be old or young, not at the same time. Before we look at that, let's look at the uh, older lady right in there. The older lady, this is a scarf over her head, her hair, and this is her nose right in here. And then this is her eye. This is her mouth, this is her chin, and she has some fur around her neck. That's the older lady. 
Right, now the younger lady, which most of you saw, this is the younger lady. She has a, thing, a scarf over her head, her hair, she's got a fancy feather. Now all you see is the side of her face. You see a little bit of her eye lash there, a little button nose. This is her uh, chin, her cheek, and what was the eye of the old lady is now the ear of the young lady. And what was the mouth of the old lady is now a necklace on the neck of the young lady. Now how many still can't see the one you couldn't see before? And that's all right, all right? It took me a while to figure these out too, guys, all right? But that's what it's like in the world today. Not the old and young, right? Now, how many of you have been here have seen a chart like this? This is called a geological time scale. When I was an atheist, perhaps a geologist and an atheist for 20-some years, this was my Bible right in here. This told me everything I had to know about evolution. And here's what it works for. What we have is a drawing with all kinds of rock layers laid up one on top of another. By the way, now, every one of these rock layers right in here, from here, 570 million years, according to this graph here, clear up to here are all sedimentary rock layers. That's rocks laid down by mud and by water. Down here, we have what they call the Precambrian, which is actually a metamorphic and igneous type of rocks down in here. And then what we have is pictures over here of animals that they have found in these rock layers right in here. Beginning down here with little trilobites, evolving according to evolution through all these different creatures up until we finally come along right up in here. And they call these, by the way, index fossils because we do tend to find them in these types of rock layers right in here. Now, how old? Well, this down here is called the Cambrian. They said that happened, this Cambrian age, it happened 570 million years ago. And all of these, they give names to them and how long ago they occurred. They're up to where we are today. Now, here's one that I had a big problem. Even as an atheistic geologist, was the Cambrian period. Because what we see happening right here is all of a sudden, during the Cambrian, all of a sudden, bang, boom, all these animals occur. We find them in the fossil record. There is nothing leading up to them. Now, evolution pieces, everything evolved from very simple to very complex. But there's no simplicity there, guys. Maybe a little bit more down here, because these are just essentially one-cell creatures that they have found in the metamorphic rocks down in here. But from here, there's nothing leading up to them. Right? Evolution always teaches one kind into another kind. But where do these first kinds come from? Boom, just like that. It's called a cavern explosion, and I never could make any sense out of that. Um, that was what I used to just question my professor all the time, and he really did not have a good answer for it. Right? Now, how are these fossils dated? Who wants to date a fossil to start with? And I'm not talking about figuring out how old it is, all right? <laughs> how, how do we date it? Is there some magic machine where you can stick a fossil in, punch a button, it'll do all kinds of scientific uh, discoveries and everything to figure out how old it is? Not at all, right? There's no such thing as that. Uh, so how do we date them? Well, I want you to look at this right in here. Now, when I was uh, getting my degree in geology, I was working for my professor, uh, another gentleman and I. We were doing all this lab work, and he had polio, and so he couldn't get out and do field work. And he was working on his doctor's thesis, and he had to... Uh, we, he, we had to go out there and do the work for him, collect samples and things like that and everything. Right? Well, I was out there one day and I found a trilobite. That's this little guy right in here. How many of you ever heard of roly polies? So those little bugs you touch rolled up? Uh, many of us believe these are kind of uh, sea-living sea roly polies. Um, now, they're not around anymore as far as we know, all right? But uh, they, the reason we say that is we have found some of them in a defensive position, it appears, when they were buried in the mud and they cold up in a tight little ball and everything. 
Now this, what I found on here, and I took to my professor and said, hey professor, look what I found out there today. And I showed him this trilobite, and I says, uh, uh, what kind of trilobite is this, for one thing? And so, he says, well, I'm not sure, but let's look. Well, he had a whole book on trilobites, pictures and everything. So he opened up the book and started scanning through it until he found my trilobite. He says, ah, oh, there it is right there. I says, well, how old was this trilobite? He says, oh, that's easy. Right? He's 570 million years old. And I said, wait, how do we know that? He says, because we know how old the we know, we know how old the fossils, the rock layers are that you found that fossils in. So I said, well, how do we know how the rocks are? Because we know how the fossils are that we find in that rock. Well, how do we know how old the, the fossils are? Because of the rock. How of the rock? Because of the fossils. You guys see what I'm doing? Now, we laugh, guys, but I have to tell you, we had a lady who was associated with our ministry, Alpha Omega Institute. I think it was only like six years ago. She graduated as a geologist out of the university here, still college back then. And guess what they're teaching? The same idea. It is called circular reasoning. That's how we date the fossils. Right. Now, uh, it's kind of like a dog chasing his tail around the circle. You really never get anywhere, do you? Right? So now they realize there's a little bit of problem in that because here's the problem. Right? These rock layers here are all sedimentary. There's no way we know to date those uh, layers up there. There's no scientific approach we can. Right? But here's what they have found out there. They can date igneous rock, that comes from the volcanoes, or metamorphic rock, that's kind of like sedimentary rock that got put under a lot of pressure and heat and changed into a metamorphic rock, which is a very hard rock. Right. So they say that we can use. So what they'll do is if they can find any any of these areas right in here, any igneous type rock, because that's the one they prefer, date it, then they'll see if that fits with what they're finding out there. Right. Understand something here, guys. Nowhere in the world do we see a column of rock stacked up nice and neat, one layer on top of another, and we can actually correlate it just like that. With small uh, spine sections and things like that. And nowhere in the world do you see all of this put together right in here. Right. Now, so what we're going to do, how do they date this igneous rock? Well, it's called radiometric dating. Can everybody see that? Radiometric dating method, all right? And what they use, there's about six different minerals and everything that are radioactive. I'm going to just use three of them because these are the main ones that are, there's, uh, they use. There's a mineral called rubidium, which is radioactive. It's putting off a lot of energy out there. And over time, it will change, lose enough energy that will change into a non-radioactive mineral called strontium. And then there's potassium, radioactive potassium. Loses energy over time and changes into a, a mineral called argon. And then uranium over time, radioactive uranium. We know what uranium is. We used to have the mills right down the road here ways, all right? And well, we had one right here in town too. Over time, it loses its energy and changes into lead. These are the main ones they use out there, okay? Understand something, they can only be used on igneous or metamorphic rock. Remember that, put that in your head. Because they're always telling us how old the rock layers are, but unless it's igneous or metamorphic, they're just making up numbers on you, right? Only igneous or metamorphic. But how does it actually work? How do these dating methods work? Well, I want you to imagine that one day a scientist came home and he walked into his son uh, Tommy's bedroom and what he noticed was something. Tommy was picking up toys and putting in the, in, the, in the toy box right here. And there was a clock on the wall and so 
He was very observant. He noticed something. He noticed that every time a minute hand went by on that clock, Tommy was putting a toy in the toy box. Well, he sat there and watched him for 10 minutes. Now, after 10 minutes, he says, hmm, I wonder how long Tommy's been picking up toys. So what would it be the way to figure that out? Count the number of toys, and that's what he does. Right? He counts up, and he comes up with 29 toys. Now, that's easy math. 29 toys, one minute per toy. Tommy's picking up toys for 29 minutes. Is that a good answer? Well, it could be, but here's the problem. All scientists know for sure is what he observed during that 10 minutes. He has to guess about everything that happened before he walked into the room. He has to assume that Tommy was always picking up toys at the same speed or the same rate. But he doesn't know that. Maybe Tommy was doing a lot faster before he showed up, but by the time his dad got, he was tired, so he had slowed down. Or maybe he was doing it slow, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, this works better, and all of a sudden he became very efficient, and now he's doing it faster. But does the scientist know that? All he knows for sure is what he could observe in that 10 minutes. Remember, that's what science is, guys, observation. Right? And now, well, and then maybe Tommy's mom had already come into the room, put a bunch of toys in there, and got disgusted with the mess and said, Tommy, get your bottom in there right now, clean that room up before your dad gets home. Right? But again, does the scientist know that? No, all he knows for sure is what he observed during the 10 minutes. Maybe evil sister Susie, her name's Susie, I'm not picking on you, right? Maybe evil sister came, there's a whole bunch of toys in there to start with, and Susie came up and stole the whole bunch. But again, does the scientist know that? No, all he knows for sure is what he observed during that 10 minutes. He has to guess about everything that happened before he walked into that room. Now, if his guess is wrong, if his guess is wrong, all right, if his guess is wrong, all right, can he really know how long it took? No. Right? It's all based on guess. Now, it's very complicated, too. Uh, now, what we do today, we'll look at a rock, and they, did, they look at something, and they're looking for minerals that they can actually date. Uh, you know, again, I'm going to use uranium, and this is there. So when we send a man uh, into the laboratory to have it dated, first of all, they're going to look for uh, uranium and lead. And in this rock, they're going to find uranium. Right, now, uranium is what we call the parent mineral, and it loses energy over time and changes into lead, which is not radioactive right in there. Uh, now. now, what we have to uh, guess, though, is when this rock was formed, right, it had to all be uranium because lead comes from uranium, right? Now, but what do we find out there? We find uranium and lead out there, right? And so, uh, uh, this half-life of uranium, by the way, it takes 4.5 billion years for half the uranium in that sample to lose its energy to change into red. Now, here's our problem. Has anybody been around for 4.5 billion years so they could observe this rate and come up with a number like that? Do you know why they say that the Earth is 4.6 billion years old? because of the age, because of uh, uranium half-lives right in there, right? But nobody was around to see that, so can you really know for sure? No, there's a whole lot of guessing has to go on here. You have to assume in the beginning was only uranium, and then over the time it changed into lead. But we don't know that. You also have to guess that nothing leaked into it, nothing leaked out of it over those millions and millions of years. And it's even more complicated than that because when we send rock layers in, to have them dated, to see what kind of date they come in. We don't send the whole specimen in. 
I had to be taking back what we ended up doing. What I had to do in the lab for my professor, because he was having to date some of these rocks, I haven't dated, I should say, okay? What we had to do is take a small portion of that rock and take it apart mineral by mineral, and then we send a whole pile of this mineral by mineral stuff in into the laboratory and have them tested to see how old it was right in here. Now, what was amazing to me, and I never even thought about it till I became a creationist, what was amazing to me that the laboratories we were sending this to, they sent us the sample packets, and on it they said, now, how old do you think this specimen is? How old do you think it is? Never even dawned on me to wonder about that, okay? And, but they always sent that in. But here's why it's complicated piece. We have to take it out. Now, here's the problem, guys. Rocks are not always what we call homogeneous. That means the minerals are not evenly spaced throughout. It's kind of like, uh, like a pancake batter when you don't stir it enough, it's lumpy. It's got lumps here and lumps up there. It's not smooth with all types of minerals in there. So here's the problem. Now we take that apart, all right, well you take a, we take this section of rock right in here, we take it mineral by mineral, we'll send it to the laboratory. They look under the microscopes and all the other tests and everything, and what they observe is, is almost, almost everything in there is uranium, and only a little bit of lead in that area right in here. I say, well, that's because the uranium didn't have enough time to lose its energy and change into lead, therefore this must be what? A young rock. But not the same rock though, you send another sample from the other side over here, you have almost all lead, which is a little bit of uranium. You send that to the same laboratory, they'll take a look at it and say, oh, it's all lead now, just a little bit of uranium. Therefore, uranium's had enough time to change into lead, therefore it must be what? An old rock. We've already talked about this guy, it's going to be old and young at the same time. No, it cannot. It's very, very complicated, right? Now, what we have, are they actually accurate right in here? Now, what we should do, this is the idea, this is what we call the hypothesis, how these dating methods should work. So what should we do? We gotta use scientific method, guys. Put it to the test. Test them, do they actually work? And that has been done. I, for example, the Grand Canyon. How many of you have been to that big hole in the earth called the Grand Canyon up there, right? What we have is we have all these rock layers stacked up one on top of another. Now this is what we call the Precambrian out here. By the way, the Precambrian, the same Precambrian, is underneath a monument out here. It's that dark rock at the bottom of the canyons and everything, right? This is called, called Precambrian. This is before any of this uh, sedimentary layers right here. Now, by the way, we believe every one of these came from the flood. Every one of these layers right here, by the way, right? That's not what evolution teaches, but that's uh, what we believe. Now, so we have the Precambrian. Now, now down here, it's, most of it's metamorphic, but right here, we also have a type of, that we can actually date. It's called a basalt. It's an igneous rock. It's called the Cardaneous basalt. So what they did is they dated using these four different methods right in here. I want you to look down here at the bottom though. Can you see those dates? None of them agree with each other. They're all very, very different from each other. Then on top of what we have, we have a lava flow that flowed down into the canyon, over the canyon, right in here. Right? And you look at that, that also is a basalt. So you can also date it, apparently, with the radiometric dating method. And looking up here, do you notice none of these dates actually agree with each other? They're all very, very different. Well, several years ago, the Institute of Creation Research, they put this to the test. 
they went down there and they got six samples right in here of the Cardenas basalt and they sent it to a laboratory and had them check it or data it using rubidium strontium method right in here. They came back guys that uh, uh, they found of those six, looking at those six samples, that this all occurred, this all cooled. By the way, the dating methods work, all right? As soon as it has to be, it has to go through a molten stage, the igneous stage or the metamorphic stage, through a molten stage, and when that cools, begins cooling, that's when the date actually starts, tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Right? So they went back and said, well, this event occurred 980 to 1100 million years ago. Then, ICR, they did not tell them when they found this, but they sent five samples uh, to the same laboratory of samples from the lava flow up here on top and had them dated, use the rubidium strontium model, and on top they said, well, that happened 1,270 to 1,390 million years ago. You guys see how what they just ended up doing? This stuff on top, they said, is 290 million years older than this stuff on the bottom. Now, can that be? Okay, Rashawn, Zion, now's your time. I want to explain that to you right in here. That's a huge, huge problem. If you guys are saying right here, right? Now, here's what we find, guys. Uh, this is a Chinle formation that's in the Grand Canyon is right in here. This is the Chinle. When you guys go up into the monument, the ones that are right there above the basalt, the dark basalt, this is the Chinle. We have it right out here. In fact, every one of these is in our backyard right in here. Okay? This goes, not just feet, guys, not just miles. It goes statewide. All of this in yellow is the Chinle formation that they've been able to map over time. And then on top of that is the Dakota sandstone. Again, this is the Grand Canyon. The Dakota goes clear up into uh, Montana, clear out into all of Colorado, all of Nebraska, clear out in Minnesota, up in there, that huge area right in there. Then we look at the Morrison Formation, where you can find a lot of our dinosaur artifacts. It goes almost to Mexico, uh, down here, uh, almost all of New Mexico, parts of Texas. Again, this is us right in here in Nebraska, clear up into uh, Canada right in here. Now here's the problem. Right? These are all stacked just like this up there. Right? The Chen Lee on the bottom and uh, uh, the Morrison on top right in here. You guys understand that? So my question is, how did the older all right, get up on top? All right. Rashawn, how old did you tell me you are? 21? No, 11. You sure? Okay, you're gonna have to do something, okay? You're gonna be rock. You're gonna be sedimentary mud. We're gonna stir you up real good. You're gonna get dumped down here on the floor. So dump yourself down there. Why don't you lay down on your stomach? Okay. Don't break the glasses, okay? So that event for 11 years ago. We're gonna say 1100 years ago. It's not, okay? Okay, Zion, you're what? At least 21, you must be what, 18? 10. 10? Oh, you're that close, all right? Okay, now another event comes along. A little mud gets stirred up, woo, you're going to be deposited right on top of it. Okay? So you can let it go this way on okay? Now, do you guys understand? Zion, you made a big mistake because he gets a turn on top of you. Just a <laughs> now, you guys understand? In reality, that's what, how it should have occurred. The oldest would always be below the youngest. But that's not what they're saying. So now, okay, uh, uh, Zion. I want you to change places with Mr. Rashawn here. Okay, okay Rashawn, be gracious. Right. But that's the 
that's what we ended up with. The old on top of the younger. You guys see his problem? Yes. Now wait a minute, could it have been flipped over? Thank you, boys. You get up. <laughs> now the only way that can happen is if this was deposited the right way and then flipped over like a pancake. But there is absolutely no geological evidence out there that shows that. I don't even know of an evolutionary geologist that would say that happened out there. Right? So something is very, very much wrong with the dating method. Right? There's no way it could be not 290 million years older. Something is wrong with the way these things are being dated, guys. They just don't work. Here's another example. This is a volcano in Hawaii. They tested it using the radiometric dating method. They said this event occurred anywhere from 140 million to 3 billion years ago. Now, first of all, is this what you would call precision dating? Right in there. I get any long number and throw it out there, you might bounce right in there, okay? But we know that that's not true. Not millions, not billions. Historical event, they actually recorded this lava flow uh, flowing and cooling in the year 1801. So it only occurred hundreds of years ago, not millions, not billions. Eyewitness report. How many of you ever seen that mountain there? You gotta be old if you ever saw it like that. You have to be around here before 1980, at least, all right, if you ever saw it. This is called Mount St. Helens up in the state of Washington. And I don't know why she didn't show up there. there. There she did, anyway. Well, something happened in Mount St. Helens. Back before 1980, she took up a really bad habit. She began to smoke. And as you know, smoking is bad on your health. Well, it affected Mount St. Helens because, right, uh, she began to smoke, bad habit of smoke, and then pressures began to build up inside. She began to bulge. I say she, I guess I just call Mount She, okay? So anyway, she began to bulge and everything, and then all of a sudden she let loose. She also, uh, May, but also in June, they had two horrific uh, explosions. And when it was all over, one third of the mountain had been blown away. Most of this stuff going up very high in the air, a lot of it coming out. Some of it they have tested, probably was going out, guys, uh, uh, over five miles per second, some of this stuff being sh sh thrown out there and everything. Mostly ash, but big rubble too. And so that was in 1980. And then two years went by and it happened again. Was the last explosion we had there. And what was left over, when it was all left over, what we had was what we call a caldera. Uh, this is the caldera right in here. And this had all been blown out right in here. Now in 1982, after that last explosion, this lava dome right here, molten hot lava, began to ooze out of the bottom of Mount St. Helen. It's still oozing today. In fact, this caldera right now is almost full. A lot of uh, geologists believe she could be going uh, to erupt again. They're not really sure when, but it could actually be happening again. Maybe not the too distant future. Well, 1999, the Institute of Creation Research went down, and they got some samples of this lava that cooled, this began flowing and cooling in 1982. So, how, then they said to have it dated. So how old should that lava have been tested, or should date? Oh, let's do the math, 1999, 1982. <coughs> How many years? 17 years. It should only test 17 years old. The guys we know, we were eyewitnesses to it. How many of you remember the event in Mount St. Helens? Right. I remember it very well. I wasn't up there, but uh, this is what happened. 
a bunch of ash came out, a lot of uh, big rock layers, the boulders and stuff like that got blown out too. Now the red areas was a heavy, heavy fallout, and these yellow areas here is mostly just ash, was coming up in the upper atmosphere, and then coming and getting dumped on to the different portion of the United States. Clear down in Oklahoma. I even when I was out in Pennsylvania several years ago, one of their school books actually showed Mount St. Helens lava, uh, ash clear out in there, some of the Caribbean islands. So the jet streams picked this up and started dumping it. Right. Now, at that time, uh, at that, at this was in 1980, Marilyn and I were living in, Grand, in Granby, Colorado, which is near Grand, uh, what do you call that park? Rocky Mountain. Rocky Mountain, thank you. I only lived there for 20 plus years, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Rocky Mountain National Park. Right? It was about 8,000 feet. And we knew something was going on. First of all, it was on television, guys. They had it on the news right, for weeks. They had it on the news. But we knew, because every day when we came out, we had ash on our car from Mount St. Helens. One day it was so thick, it was over a quarter of an inch thick, right? You couldn't even see out of the windshield. You had to be careful, guys, because this ash was very sharp. You could not just wipe it off, right, because it would scratch your paint or scratch your glass. So we were there. So they had it dated. They had that ash because this is stuff you can date. And what did they come up with? 17 years? No. They said 340,000 years to 2.8 million years. Now again, is that precision dating? And be nice to me. I, I, I hate teaching this talk to high schoolers because I say, do I look 340,000 years old to me? You know what the high schooler is going to say. You guys back there, be nice. <laughs> Remember, you're my two favorites back there, so be nice to me. Send on Hayes Light, I was giving a hard time anyway, all right? But this is what they came up with, guys. So you realize these dating methods, they have lots of flaws in them. They really don't work. They don't work at all. All right, so what's some of the other ways you're always going to hear about is carbon-14. How many of you have heard of carbon-14? Carbon-14 has been so misused. For one thing, you cannot test rocks or fossils with carbon-14. It had to be alive and have carbon in it at some time. Carbon-14, that's the only way. Essentially, very simple, what we have out there in space, we can't see it, but there's some stuff called nitrogen-14. It gets bombarded by cosmic radiation and changes into radioactive carbon-14. Radioactive carbon-14 it starts beginning falling down the air. It leaks up with the carbon dioxide, the carbon dioxide with the carbon-14 in it. It gets absorbed by the, uh, the plants and everything, being changed into oxygen. And so all the plants out there have carbon-14. And because a lot of animals and a lot of us eat the plant material, guess what we have in our body? Even if all you eat is animals, guys, they're eating carbon-14, so it's gonna be transported to you. So you're gonna have carbon-14. Now we come to a point, what we call saturation. Our bodies will only hold so much carbon-14, and it cannot hold more carbon-14 in us than is in the atmosphere around us when this is occurring right in here, all right? And so they say, well, we can use carbon-14 then, and we can test, see how long ago something died. Not how old it was, but how long ago it died. Now again, this is the guess, this is the hypothesis, so what should we do? We need to test it, guys. We're gonna uh, do scientific method testing. By the way, these tests have been done by secular evolutionary scientists. So how do they test it? Well, they take mollusk shell. all that is a fancy name for crab. Uh, clam shell, I should say. They took some clam shells, had them data tested using carbon-14. They said these, these clams died 2,300 years ago. 
problem was, guys, I forgot to tell the clam because the clam was still alive. You see the problem there? It's a huge problem. They took a, 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 living, a, a living snail, took portion of his, uh, of his shell and had it dated, and they said this guy died 27,000 years ago, according to carbon 14. They said a freshly killed seal died 1,300 years ago, according to carbon 14. But my favorite, up in Siberia, they had a little baby elephant called Dima. Uh, she was not fossilized. They had carbon 14 in her. And so they tested it. They said, well, one part, that, that one part of Dima died 40,000 years ago, and the other part only died 26,000 years ago. And she was laying up on top of nine to 10,000 year old wood, according to carbon 14. Now, do you guys see a problem there? That's a huge problem. How can a baby, for one thing, stick around for 26,000 years and part of it die and wait 40,000 years for the rest of it to die? Could she live that long to start with? No. So you guys see the problem there? It's a huge problem. And here's the problem. When we can take things we know the relative age of, right, and test it and don't get the right answer, what good are they for things we have no clue how old they are? They're just not working out there. One other thing about carbon-14 I may need to share with you though, carbon-14 has a very short half-life. Remember the uh, uranium has a 4.5 billion year uh, half-life, which means half of the uranium in that sample takes four and a half billion years to change into lead. Well, what we have here is carbon-14, it has a short half-life of 5,730 years. Now here's the problem right in here. It's not used on rocks because it depends on organic material. Uh, so I understand that. Okay? So what we have is we have a sample that has a bunch of carbon-14 in it. Now, what's going to happen? After 5,730 years, half of that's going to be gone. Another 5,730 years, half of that one's going to be gone. And finally, there's going to keep on doing that until you get down here and there's such a small, minuscule amount that you cannot test it anymore. Now some say it'll take 100,000 years to get to this point, some say 50,000, I use the median of 70,000 years. So nothing over 70,000 years old should you be able to test using carbon-14. You understand that? So what have they done? Well, in 1997 they had a, a scientist got together using what they call radioisotopes in nature there. What they discovered is they were finding undecayed carbon-14 that had not changed into the half-life on down below it yet. Right? Uh, it was present throughout the entire geological time scale. So let's go, this line right in here, that's going to represent as far back as it can go, 70,000 years from the present up here down to that red line. But what they were finding is undecayed carbon-14 all the way through organic material and all of these old, 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 old rock layers down in there. It just doesn't work, guys. Right? The hypothesis is there, but when you put it to the test, it is not working at all. One other thing I want to share with you real quick. Right, more evidence from Mount St. Helens. Uh, oh, I'm, not, I'm going to have to kick it in if I'm going to get to this one hour here. Right? You guys give me grace, right? I won't go the two hours, but I'll go that. All right. This right in here, this is a canyon. It's called the Little Grand Canyon of the Two Roots. What's very interesting in that, this canyon was not here before 1982. All right, there was a little stream coming down there. Well, in 1982, after the last explosion at Mount St. Helens, 
a lot of very hot material went up and there was lots of snow and ice up there. It melted, it turned into mud. And this mud broke or breached the dam. It built up deep and deep and deep and broke that through that dam and it came down and it made this canyon. Eyewitness reports, guys, they made this canyon in one single day. That is all it took. When you look at this, this is one fortieth the scale of the Grand Canyon. One fortieth the scale. Now here's the little river now. You see this huge area uh, came out. Now this right in here, uh, all this stuff right in here is part of, this was all laid down. Right in here was laid down in that 19, those two 1980 explosions, 1980 uh, explosions right in there. Now as a secular geologist, before I learned about creation, I would have come up and stood on that point and looked down in there. And because what I was taught, what I believed, I looked down and I said, wow, that must have taken lots and lots and lots of time for that little tiny creek down there to carve this big canyon. Not only through all the stuff that was laid down in 1990, or 1980 I should say, but it was cutting through solid rock. But this guy was a, a, a 140th the scale of the Grand Canyon. To give you an idea, this is where Roker reached. It end up here, it came over here. To give you an idea of the scale, there's two people in that little circle right there, guys, to give you a scale of how big this canyon was. It had only took one day. Time was not the key ingredient. What was the key ingredient? Having enough mud and water to do the erosion through. And we had that right in here. I mean, you've been to Grand Canyon, you've already showed you, right? Now you go to the Grand Canyon, what they're teaching today, uh, a good friend of mine, he's a, a creation scientist down in Kansas City, Missouri. He was down there at Grand Canyon one day and he, he was going through a tour with one of the geology rangers down there. And the ranger was telling him, he said, you know what, we're allowing today, we're allowing 92 million gallons of water per minute. Now that's a lot of water, guys, from the Colorado River, 92 million gallons of water per minute to flow through the Grand Canyon because we believe that's very historical, so we want to keep it as close to nature as possible. So 92 gallons of water per minute. And so they say using the uh, uniformitarian erosion rates, they came up with this canyon, took 18 to 31 million years to carve the main canyon right in here. Well, Tom Willis, this is my friend, he asked the, he asked the ranger, he says, Ranger, I've got a question for you. I'm a little confused here, right? Says because you're telling me it took you know, 18 to 31 million gallons of water, or 18 to 31 million years, 92 million gallons per minute to cover that main canyon. But what about all these side canyons? All these side canyons have no water running through them. Right, so how are they carved? Because they are just as deep and just as steep as the Grand Canyon. So what carved those? He said the geologist. He said he was serious, guys. He said he wasn't smiling at all. He says, well, what we have is in the desert around us, we have occasional trickles of water. And he said, he clarified it, trickles compared with the 92 million gallon of waters per minute. Trickles of water coming in these side canyons, cutting them as deep and as deep as the Grand Canyon. Right. Now, does that make any sense, guys? I mean, even when I believed in uh, secular geology, I never could have bought that story. I never could have bought that one at all. But that's what they're teaching today. We have evidence today that there was a lot of water. In fact, we're living in part of it right here. Uh, now, after the flood, God just said he pushed up the mountains and dropped the oceans for the water to run off with. But a lot of this water was trapped. Lakes, they believe most of the great lakes were trapped water. Later got filled up by ice age, things like that. I've already taught this with the flood, but this is too, they're calling this the Grand Lake today. And this is the whole Lake down in here. This is the Grand Canyon, where it says Kaibab Port right here. Well, what we believe is God pushed up the mountains, water was trapped, and it kept building up, but we don't know how long. It had to uh, 
get long enough so some of this rock down here could harden a little bit. Okay, but this is what the extent that they believe they do it by soil test and by elevation. This is Grand Junction right in here. Now, I live in the Redlands up, guys. I could have had beachfront property. Some of you guys down here, pretty you guys leave. You know, you'd be swimming all the time, right? But anyway, uh, so this was uh, what the whole idea was that the water was trapped and then over time built up and it broke and breached, probably through an earthquake or something like that. And it broke and breached and it came down. First of all, it had uh, moved over 200 cubic miles, I think, of rock layer out here before they could even start cutting the canyon. So the rock layers were laid down during the flood, guys, but it was not the flood that made the canyon. It was post-flood after that. So now it comes out, it starts cutting out, breaks the neck off of this lake. So now all this water shooting out, this water here, and it starts cutting that canyon. Even a lot of secular geologists start looking at this. That's uh, very valid, guys. It looks like a lot of water. Uh, time is not the key ingredients. What did you have to have? Enough water. And we have it. We have a, a enough water out there. So, how old is the earth? How old are you? Can you keep six thousand? Who said six thousand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the earth is, but how old are you? Can you prove to me how old you are? And I, is there any scientific thing we can pop you into and test you scientifically? I'll look at your teeth, all right? I can tell maybe you're young, maybe you're old from your teeth, but can I tell the day you were born, the hour you were born, the minute you were born? Where are you born? No, we can't, all right? But there is a way. You teenagers, when you go ahead and get your driver's license, you've got to take something with you, and you will not get it. Cursing God to be able to pass it. But before you take the test, what will they want? They want your driver's license. Kurt, how many driver's licenses have you looked at over the years? A couple of thousand. All right? And on that driver's license gives the day you were born. It doesn't go into as deep detail as the day, minute, things like that. But it is a record. You have a you have a historical record that's called your birth certificate. Guys, we have the best we have the best historical document there is in the world. Guys, we have the Word of God. Amen. When you look at the Word of God, what does it indicate? How old the earth is? I say about six thousand years. You have to make up your own mind. But I hope you understand, guys, the stuff they're pushing us in the world out there. I mean, this, this old ages are everywhere. You look at the little TV shows for little kids about dinosaurs and the ages come up, guys. It's just being dumped on our kids. We should know by now we can trust the Word of God. But these kids, they're still the point. They have to make up their own mind. So, Rashawn, Zion, I hope by making rock layers for me, that one day you wake up and say, yeah, I can believe what God did it in a short period of time. And he did it with his blood. And he talks about that because that is his Let me pray. Father God, again, I thank you for this day. Lord, um, I know I stumbled around quite a bit today, but I pray, Lord, that your word came through. And the evidence against uh, these long ages, Lord, is just so apparent to people that they might really start considering. I'm uh, really looking into it. Do they really know that? You look back to get the true answer, and that is at the very beginning of the Bible, Lord, that you are not only our creator, but we, we can figure out how long it took. We don't know the exact day or anything, hour like that, Lord, but we have a very good reference of how long ago it was. So thank you for that, Lord. That just gives me not only faith, Lord, but it gives me the hope and assurance that the rest of the Bible is true, just like it says, that Jesus Christ is not only our creator, but he's also our Savior. 
Thank you, thank you for the evidence of that. Lord, I pray whatever we've done today, we've done it for your glory and your glory only. And I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.